Good evening. My name is Sarah Morant with Alberta Health, and I will be your moderator for tonight's telephone town hall to continue the conversation about refocusing healthcare in Alberta. This evening, I'm joined by the Minister of Health, Adriana Lagrange, by Deputy Minister of Health, Andre Tremblay, by the new Alberta Health Services Board Chair, Dr. Lyle Oberg, and with the, the President and CEO of Alberta Health Services, Moro Kias. I'm also joined this evening by senior officials from the Department of Health, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction, and Seniors Community and Social Services. Before we hear from Minister LaGrange, let me explain how this town hall will work. First, we are joined by Minister only until 6.45 this evening, and she will be here to answer your questions and hear directly from you. Right now, across Alberta, people are connecting to the call, and soon you will have a chance to join that conversation with Minister LaGrange and the other experts here this evening. You can get in line to ask a question right now or at any time by pressing star 3 on your phone. And for those of you listening online, you can enter your question or your comments directly into the online portal right now or at any time. I would like to welcome uh, the Minister of Health, Adriana LaGrange, to share some opening remarks. Minister, please go ahead. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. And good evening, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. And my apologies that I can only stay on until 645, but I know you are in good hands for the remainder of the time period with uh, the other officials that are in the room. Um, I know that last week's announcement may have caused some anxiety. We are, after all, taking talking about change, and change is never easy, even when it's changed for the better. And I do apologize for those who are coming on two or three times to listen to this. I am kind of keeping the opening remarks very similar to what I indicated in, in the other town hall. So that's why we're here today, along uh, um, why I'm here, along with the um, new AHS uh, board chair, Dr. Lyle Obert, to address your questions and hear your concerns. We will also be joined by officials from the Ministry of Alberta Health, Mental Health and Addictions, and Seniors, Community and Social Services on behalf of my colleagues, Minister Dan Williams and Minister Jason Nixon. And for those of you joining us to better understand what the changes are and what they mean to you, I will give you just a short recap of what we announced. Uh, for far too long, we've watched you buckle under the strains and stresses of an inefficient healthcare system. Not only has it been failing too many Albertans, but it also has been failing all of you, the ones who do the work and care for us in our most vulnerable times. So we are refocusing the system and creating a fully integrated structure that revolves around four priority areas, primary care, acute care, continuing care, and mental health and addictions. This change is largely at the governance level and will not affect most healthcare workers' day-to-day -day work. I want to be clear, we anticipate there will be no job losses for AHS staff working in frontline positions directly delivering care to patients. For the majority of frontline healthcare workers, you will continue to do your job, and in fact, many of you will continue to work for AHS. We will continue to forge ahead with recruiting more doctors, nurses, paramedics, and other healthcare professionals where we need them. And one of the benefits of this new structure will be dedicated leadership who will now be able to focus their particular, will focus on their particular sector and the healthcare workers that are in it. So another benefit we see is strengthening decision-making at the local level. So these new organizations will help to do that, and so too will new local advisory councils that will be created. 
You know your own role best and the needs on the ground, and we want to empower you to be able to make more decisions. Overall, we want you to feel better supported, better heard, and better able to do your important work without system obstacles. But we do not want to move forward without your input. For too long, decisions have been made without hearing from the very people it will affect the most. This changes and this starts now. We want to know what's working now and what needs to change. And who better to tell us, than, tell us this than the people who live it every day. After all, a major reason for this change was that we needed to start prioritizing the overall well-being of healthcare workers. Starting with making your jobs easier by cutting out the daily frustrations of hurdles, layers of approvals, and decisions that don't make sense for your area. We know all this gets in the way of caring for Albertans and can lead to job dissatisfaction, stress, and burnout. And ironically, the healthcare system that is itself unhealthy. We need your help to strengthen our healthcare system and bring back its vitality. By joining us today, you are already helping us by being willing to engage with us. We are planning many engagement opportunities in the weeks and months ahead. There are also various channels through which you can reach us at telephone town halls like today's, in-person sessions that will be scheduled in the coming weeks, and through a survey on our website at www.alberta.ca slash healthcare. Again, that's www.alberta.ca slash healthcare. So thank you again for joining us, and I look forward to starting on this road to a better healthcare system with all of you. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Sarah, for questions. Thanks so much, Minister LaGrange, for your opening remarks. And for those of you who have just connected, welcome to tonight's telephone town hall about refocusing healthcare in Alberta. Joining us this evening are Minister LaGrange, Deputy Minister of Alberta Health, Andre Tremblay, the new Alberta Health Services Board Chair, Dr. Lyle Oberg, and the President and CEO of Alberta Health Services, Moro Kiez. I'm also joined tonight by officials from the Department of Health, mental health and addiction, and seniors community and social services. If you would like to get in line to join the conversation, you can do so right now or at any time by pressing star three on your phone. And for those of you listening online, you can enter your question into the portal right now. I would like to get the conversation started with the very first question that was submitted online from Sasha. And Sasha says, my family members are worried about how these changes will impact their day-to-day -day access to healthcare. What can I say to them that will help them not to worry? Minister LaGrange? Well, thank you, Sasha, for the question. And I would say that really nothing changes in the day-to-day -day way that everyday Albertans will be able to access healthcare. If you go to your family practitioner now, that's what you will continue to do. If you need to access emergency care, you will go to the emergency room and so on. Uh, really what we're looking to do is organize the structures differently so that they're focused on those four key areas of acute care, primary care, continuing care, and mental health and addictions. And as we focus, on these priority areas. We are looking to improve the quality of care that the patient gets, as well as making sure that we expand uh, service opportunities. And right now, a lot of the uh, focus is on acute care, but we also need to really strengthen our primary care because there's you know, just shy of a million 
million people that don't actually have access to a family doctor or a nurse practitioner or other primary care um, provider, and we need to change that. So we're fo very focused on that and having an organization that is laser focused on making sure that we can get the resources, the right resources, the right people, um, and in the right places at the right time is key. Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to add to my comments? No, certainly um, the, the, there should be no change uh, for you taking your parents to the uh, physician or accessing healthcare. And that's certainly our goal to continue so that the continuity is there so that there is no abrupt change. But over, over the next year, you will see positive changes come. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. Moving the conversation on, this is a question that comes from Jacob, who's listening online. And Jacob says, how will Indigenous people have a voice in the four new organizations? Well, Jacob, um, Indigenous people will have a very strong voice. First of all, I, um, a few weeks ago, I announced the Modernizing Alberta's Primary Care System. Um, the reports, one of the reports came from the Indigenous panel. It had uh, numerous recommendations, I believe 22 recommendations, uh, some of which were short-term that we're starting to, to act upon right away, uh, such as the Indigenous Navigator, as well as the Elders Roster, as well as uh, $20 million towards an innovation fund. Um, and we've also uh, developed, um, are in the process of developing a, an Indigenous division within Alberta Health. That is something totally new. We've never had dedicated people within Alberta Health working directly under um, its own division focused on Indigenous health care. That's just in the primary care. And of course, we're going to be acting on all of the other recommendations that came out of that uh, modernizing Alberta's primary care Indigenous panel um, as well. We are going to be focused, each one of those organizations will be mandated to focus on Indigenous care because, of course, we know that there are health challenges that um, exist that need to be addressed. And so that, and I'll, I'll let um, Dr. Oberg expand about, about that in a minute. And also, it's something that I raise when I speak to the Minister of Health, the Federal Minister of Health, Mark Holland, on the, the needs for, um, for the uh, federal government to, to step up in their capacity um, in certain areas on Indigenous health as well. So, Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to expand on? Yeah, I, I would just add that the inclusiveness of, of Indigenous health is critical um, to streamlining the system. And we will, from the changes that you're making in Alberta Health, I think the, there will be a much better focus and onus on Aboriginal health. Um, we really try to and will try to make this uh, a very important priority for Alberta Health Services. Uh, the, the last thing I might add is um, we are going to be establishing an Indigenous Health Division within the department. And that's a, a brand new division that will focus on a continuous outreach with community and driving the recommendations that came out of the Indigenous Health Maps report. So it's the first time in the department's history that we're going to actually have a dedicated assistant deputy minister and staff complement to uh, work with Indigenous communities across the province to improve those critical health care outcomes we're all looking for. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister Tremblay. 
The next question tonight comes from Teresa, who's listening live from Edmonton. Teresa, please go ahead. Your line is now open. Great. Thank you for taking my question. Is there a possibility of the UCP exploring the use of using public funds to open private for-profit health clinics like the one Dr. Oberg has opened in Kelowna? I would like to clarify, I'm not asking if you're planning on privatizing what we currently have, but rather using taxpayer dollars to open future private for-profit health care. Thank you. If, if I may start on that, um, there is no private for-profit clinic in Kelowna. And, and uh, just to, to be further clear, um, there we adhere to the Canada Health Act, and we also have the Alberta Insurance Health Act that we have to follow. And any insured, um, uh, whether it's surgery or any procedure or um, doctor's appointment, et cetera, that is covered will continue to be covered. This is public health care. I cannot be more clear on that. This is publicly funded public health care. Um, and so we are going to make sure that that stays the same. Um, there was a clinic that tried to open that was going to contravene the Canada Health Act in the summer, and we took swift action um, against that clinic. So that will continue to be the case for all those who go against the Canada Health Act or the Alberta Insurance Health Act. Maybe I'll just add one comment to, to Minister's statement. We actually have a team within Alberta Health that um, looks specifically at billing practices for clinics across the province. And if there's any indication that a, a clinic or a facility is charging Albertans for something that should be covered uh, through public funding, we will investigate and take immediate action. So we do actually have a group of people that focus specifically on that within the Department of Health. Thanks very much. Uh, moving on to the very next question. This is from Hillary, and Hillary's listening online with us this evening. Um, Hillary says, how will Alberta Health ensure there is collaboration amongst the four new organizations? Sure. Thank, thank you for the question. And uh, what we have is an integration council. Um, obviously, the mandate for each one of those organizations will be to, uh, to really look at making sure it's a streamlined uh, process for the patient, that um, there is um, uh, the ability to go from one one area to the other without um, impediment for, for the patient. We want to make sure that we do not create silos. So there is an integration council, um, but it is going to be a focus of each of those sectors as well as the integration council to make sure that the journey is seamless. Uh, we also need to look at our IT systems, the ability for IT and data to flow amongst um, all of those organizations right now. Um, I, I think most people realize that um, the flow from uh, primary care to um, information flow from primary care to acute care and vice versa doesn't function as it should, and we need to make some significant improvements in that area. Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to expand upon? No, I, I think the importance of the continuity and the streamlining is certainly self-evident. And one of the things that we're trying to do is ensure that that is going to happen and actually happen even more and better. So we, we can't forget um, that people can get lost in cracks and we've just got to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Allie listening online. And Allie says, how will rural residents and healthcare workers be heard in the new organizations? Well, because they will have a stronger voice, uh, the, um, the, those organizations that we're setting up, as I said earlier, their mandate, one of their mandate items is to hear directly from the front lines. Um, and if you're in rural, that, that means that you need to be heard as equally as if you're in the metro area. And uh, beyond that, the regional advisory councils that we will be setting up, those 12 or actually 13 councils, one will be an Indigenous council, um, will be have representatives from the rural. We're actually making sure that those advisory councils are able to uh, provide input directly to the ministry. Uh, to myself as the minister and to the integration council. So there isn't the layers that you're, you're going to or are probably used to seeing from the past. Um, and we want to set up um, a mechanism so that front lines can be heard on an ongoing basis, not just at town halls like this for the next few months and or the next few years, but on an ongoing basis so that we can hear on a continuous basis from front lines and particularly rural and uh, remote areas because um, we know that there are significant challenges out there. Dr. Oberg, anything to add? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I'm from a small town called Forestburg, Alberta. I practiced in Brooks, Alberta. I practiced in Cold Lake, Alberta. Um, I know full well what the challenges are in rural Alberta. I still have a lot of family and friends that are in rural Alberta. so. Uh, I will make sure that rural Alberta has a voice in the new structure. Thanks, Dr. Oberg, and thanks, Minister Lagrange. The next question comes from Charlene, listening online, and Charlene says, "Will the unions have to negotiate new contracts with the new organizations?" Uh, the unions will negotiate as they always have in the past um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, AHS will continue to exist. Um, Covenant Health, they negotiate on their own, but they rely on, on oftentimes on uh, what has been determined already at AHS. So my anticipation is that for the time being, things will continue as is. Thanks so much, Minister. Moving on to the very next question. This is submitted from Chris, listening online. And Chris says, how do the changes impact mental health services? Who will be in charge of this going forward? And so perhaps I'll ask my colleague, Deputy Minister Evan Romano with the Department of Mental Health and Addiction to please go ahead. Thanks so much for the question. In many respects, actually, mental health and addiction has been a little bit further out of the gate with some of the consolidation and, and focusing to have some of the direct line of sight to lean into the issues and challenges that uh, I think Albertans are facing in these areas. Uh, actually, within AHS, uh, just at the start of November, uh, there was three months of consolidation of the operations uh, across Alberta Health Services. It's being led very capably uh, by Carrie Bales. 
uh, as the chief program officer and, and a provincial team leading that work. And it's exactly that type of platform within AHS that's going to continue driving some of that continuity in, in service delivery across a whole continuum of care. Uh, and really, I, I think important to highlight that that dedicated focus of delivery of mental health and addiction services currently being delivered by Alberta Health Services will continue that with going forward. Thanks very much, Evan. The next question is from Bert, and Bert asks, um, IT or information technology is a big part of health delivery. What is going to happen to IT delivery in this new system? Minister? Uh, thank you, Bert, for the question. Uh, IT is, you're right, critical to the system, and we have to make sure that, um, that IT is able to integrate right across the whole system. It, it sometimes causes uh, issues when uh, one system isn't able to speak with another system. I know there are significant challenges, and it's something that uh, we have to address provincially so that all the IT systems, and we're certainly going to be focused as we set up these structures to make sure that the systems are able to speak to each other. Um, I do believe this is critical and it's also something that's in my mandate letter to look at addressing um, along with the refocusing. So Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, absolutely. Um, IT and information from IT is absolutely critically important. As we move ahead, we have to move ahead based on facts. We have to move ahead based on information. One of the greatest advantages of a single-payer system is that we have that information and we now need to use it. So whenever I will be talking about IT, I will be talking about IT and information because they go hand in hand. It's not just a system, it's what comes out of that system as well. You know, we've received considerable feedback from frontline workers across the province around the disconnection that does exist between acute care, continuing care, and primary care from an information system and information management point of view. And um, this refocus really drives the ultimate consolidation of IT uh, governance and the coordination of IT systems and health information so uh, we can get that information to the right service provider, healthcare service provider, at the right time uh, to manage the complex patient issues that you deal with every day. And so that's a, a key part of the strategy and what was announced last week will help enable that more broadly available uh, system information across uh, the healthcare system in the province. Thanks very much, Andre. The next question is from Margaret listening online this evening. And Margaret says, I rely on the home care aide that works in the hospital in town. If AHS will only run the hospital, does that impact my home care? Uh, again, for the foreseeable future, nothing changes. This is going to. This is the start of a journey. We're not at the end of the journey. We're at the start of the journey, and so for the time being, AHS will continue to provide uh, home care services. Um, what might happen into the future? Um, might be that uh, home care is governed by a different organization, but it could still be provided through AHS um, over, you know, providing the contracts. So, so um, as we work to, to delineate how this is provided, um, that may change. But again, that's from the governance structure. From your health care provision point, you will still get home care provided to you. 
I would also add that there are many situations in rural Alberta and in smaller communities where um, AHS facilities are not only delivering acute care services, but also continuing care services. And it's a critical component to these communities in terms of establishing that capacity that the community needs. And, and so there are no plans for um, continuing care to no longer be provided in those hospital settings um, where we have capacity in a, in a facility and there's a need for continuing care, those types of arrangements will continue to, to be implemented across the province, particularly in rural Alberta. Thanks, Andre. And thanks very much for the questions. Moving on now, this is Jennifer, who's listening live tonight from Red Deer. Uh, Jennifer, you can go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, I am extremely concerned about patient care in central Alberta, um, that we are losing an enormous number of specialists at a very alarming rate due to the lack of OR space and that we don't have a cardiac cath lab yet at the Red Deer Regional Hospital. I'm saying we need to have some kind of interim solutions while we wait the eight or more years for this hospital expansion to happen because we have a community of 500,000 people that that need these services and currently we're we have really long wait lists because we don't have these basic services. Um, thank you, Jennifer, for, for, for highlighting exactly what I feel as well. I'm the MLA for Red Deer North, and it is of utmost concern to me as well. I've been advocating for the hospital expansion for a long, long time now, long before I became the Minister of Health, and I can assure you it is going to be built, and uh, we are keeping a very close eye to make sure that it's built uh, as quickly as possibly with, possible without compromising quality. Um, that being said, um, I, I also know that uh, we are starting to recruit more physicians to Red Deer. Um, I had a meeting just today with um, several AHS um, leaders as well as one of the cardiologists in town. So um, I, I can tell you that we are continuing to improve services in our area, but it is of utmost concern and couldn't agree more with you. It, it is a very top priority for myself and for those that are involved in getting this up and running. Um, Andre, I know you've been helping out on this front as well as my deputy minister would you add anything to what i've said no that's that's great minister it is a, a major point of emphasis for us right now and particularly on the red deer uh, hospital project um, we're focusing on that on a weekly basis through our partnership with alberta infrastructure and ahs and uh, that's one of the top capital project priorities in the province right now Thanks, Andre. The next question this evening is Yvonne listening online. And Yvonne says, I'm trying to understand the Integration Council. It seems like a way to make care better, but I'm concerned that the government will direct the care and micromanage things. Is that going to be true? Uh, I would say this: the Integration Council is really a partnership, and it's making sure that information does flow back and forth between the organizations and into government who ultimately uh, sits in a position of developing policy and governance 
and making sure that the, the right dollars, uh, the right resources, the right supports are, are provided to the right areas. And so it really is an area for information flow and, and making sure that there isn't a siloing of, of organizations. Uh, we really want to make sure that we have what is, you know, continue to have what is the best of having one a geographic health system focused, obviously, in these four priority areas, but still able to, to communicate, share information, uh, best practices, and be able to be nimble and innovative when necessary. Um, so I really see this as a collaboration, not as, as government uh, micromanaging. Uh, Dr. Oberg, would you add anything? Yeah, I, I would certainly echo that. And I think the Integration Council is an important component to stop the siloing to, to ensure that there is a streamlining of services between the four different areas. Um, having that senior body up on top is critical in enforcing um, that philosophy that people have to work together, that the more people work together, the better patient care is there and that no one falls through the cracks. So Integration Council is critical to that. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. And the next question comes from Sue, who's listening online. And Sue says, what effect will this have on my job? Will I be reporting to someone new? Uh, without knowing exactly what your job is, Sue, I'm not really sure how to answer that. Uh, but um, if you are currently a frontline AHS working worker working in acute care, you will continue to be reporting to AHS. And as I said earlier, um, this is where we're starting the journey. We're not, um, um, you know, we're not at the end of the journey. So at this point in time, you will continue to report to, um, to whoever you're reporting to right now. And as we move further along the journey, a lot, you know, as well as taking into account all the input that we're receiving from all of you, on the front lines, we will see how that that uh, changes. But at this point in time, nothing changes. Thanks, Minister LaGrange. The next question comes from Aaron listening online. And Aaron says, I heard there are a ton of new things happening in healthcare, including things like recovery communities. So will this refocusing delay the work being done in the recovery space? And so perhaps I'll have my colleague, Deputy Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Evan Romano, please go ahead. Great. Thanks for the question, Aaron. You know, actually, uh, recovery communities that you've referenced, so building uh, an ambitious plan, building 11 new uh, addiction treatment centres across the province, we're really hoping these are exactly the types of uh, oversight changes with having dedicated uh, focus at the government level with a dedicated minister, uh, direct line of sight uh, with an organization delivering services. Now, these recovery communities are partnerships with uh, First Nation communities and, and community providers across the province and, and not necessarily AHS. But really, that dedicated focus is the key so we can look at those priorities, uh, accelerate work. We've been moving very, very quickly with projects like this that in the past would have taken many, many years and being built in a, a matter of, uh, you know, months, uh, one or two years on an accelerated basis. We're hoping this line of sight uh, on delivery will continue to, to deliver in an ex expedited way for Albertans. So, again, we're really seeing this as a model that can be spread elsewhere to have that dedicated focus. Thanks, Evan. 
The next question is going to come from Jared, and Jared's listening live tonight from Calgary. Jared, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, thank you. And I want to thank Minister LaGrange and Mr. Tremblay and uh, Dr. Oberg for taking the time to do these and also having the courage to do something different. And I want to want you to know that I want you to succeed in these plans. I think there's many like myself that are interested in helping you succeed. So my question really is, how do you ensure that ideas and strategies from the front lines to address and help solve major issues make themselves uh, to the appropriate decision maker or leader? And also, will there be individuals specifically charged with overseeing key issues, for example, like physician recruitment, which is an issue that I'm quite interested in as a physician who has been recently the chief of anesthesia at the hospital in Calgary. So I'm interested in hearing your response. Well, thank you. And thank you for the great work you're doing um, in, in your capacity at the hospital. So I, I, I appreciate the, the question. Um, one of the areas how we're going to gather the information is um, as we do these town halls where we're getting information, as we do the face-to-face -face meetings, there's surveys that are online. Um, we also um, have the ability to, if you write directly to my department, to gather that information. And I can guarantee you that I will be reading every single one of them. I, I read everything in detail, um, as do my, my, my colleagues, my team. So uh, we want to make sure that uh, we capture the information that you're sharing with us. Now, Sometimes um, we can't act on every, every item that we hear or see about, but we will certainly um, guarantee you that it will be read and given due consideration. In terms of the uh, workforce strategies, we do have a health workforce strategy. We are starting to see some positive results as a result of that strategy. Um, I've been uh, told that we have 240, or sorry, 255 um, new physicians that have registered to practice in Alberta in the last four months alone. Um, on, on the nursing side, we have roughly about 3,900, just shy of 3,900 nurses that um, have uh, entered the workforce in Alberta in the last year. Uh, but we know more needs to be done. So yes, we will have uh, tar targeted um, groups and individuals that will be working on these very um, areas that you highlighted. Dr. Oberg and, and Andre, I'm sure you can add a bit more to my, my dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I, I do want to say is beware because you may find me in the operating room lounge one of these days. Um, I've done a lot of work in the ORs and I know exactly what goes on in the OR lounge where the doctors talk about what is happening. So uh, I plan on visiting a lot of people around the province. I plan on listening to the front line because quite frankly, um, you guys are the ones who are doing the patient care and uh, you have the best ideas about how to do it, and we have to listen. So we're going to be out there, we're going to be talking, but more importantly, we're going to be listening. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. Um, keeping the conversation going, I'm gonna go ahead now to Kelsey, who's listening live from Camrose. Kelsey, you can go ahead, your line's open. Thank you so much, good evening, Minister. Um, my question is around outcome measures. I'm wondering, Given the expense of this, what you've described so far as being a largely administrative and higher level, nothing that's going to affect the front line, we all shouldn't panic. I'm wondering how 
in the long term, we are going to be able to look back and know when the work is done to justify the expense on this administrative project um, in opposition to other places that that money could be placed. And I'm wondering, basically, and and for you, Dr. Olberg, I'm sure you uh, have the same feeling with uh, being a facts-based person. How are we going to know that what you're doing worked? Well, um, great question, Kelsey. And and first, I'd say that um, the structures sometimes uh, loosely exist in other areas. And so there's aspects within uh, AHS that currently, um, you know, concentrate on um, primary care, even though their main focus isn't around primary care. So um, we're looking to to look at how that can be, uh, those individuals can be utilized within the other structures. Uh, so there's, there's going to be a little bit of, of right-sizing in, in that respect. Um, the dollars that is out there in terms of what the refocusing could cost are estimates that were uh, gleaned from what the costs were in 2008 when AHS was set up and what that could be in today's dollars. But uh, at this point in time, we don't know what the actual costs will be. Uh, But that being said, we do have the Health Quality Council of Alberta, uh, whose task it is to to really, you know, kind of oversee the quality standards in the province. And they haven't really been utilized to their full um, capability. And in fact, we want to expand their role in this area. We really need to know where we're at and where we're going and how we get there. And so we really do want to have um, very strong um, measures that we can look back at and say, well, this is where we were, but this is where we are um, after we've done the refocusing. We want to see improvement. We want to see better patient care. We want to see improved outcomes. And uh, if if you're not actually measuring these things, then you how can you actually see where you're going? So I, I know Dr. Oberg feels very strongly about this as well. We want to be able to show transparently to the public that in fact, what we're putting in place is working. And if it's not working, then we have to shift gears and do something differently. But right now we're not uh, doing that. Dr. Oberg? Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, key performance indicators are critically important to Alberta Health Services moving forward. We have to be able to establish where we are. Uh, we have to be able to establish if what we're doing is better, if it's worse, if it's working, if it's not working. And these are the types of things that have to lead our decision making. One of the big advantages of a single payer system is that you have a lot of information. Uh, we have to interpret that information. We have to ensure, as as you know, Kelsey, we have to ensure that that is put into data that we objectively look at it and say, is this particular thing helping or is this particular thing making it worse? Is this particular thing making patient care better? Is it making it worse? And that has to be an overarching philosophy of healthcare as we move forward. Um, We're in 2023, Uh, performance indicators, information are key. Maybe I'll just add one final comment. the, the accountability question that Kelsey just answered is, is a foundational one. Um, we are actually building um, a, a new team and bolstering resources within the department in partnership with the rest of the healthcare system, quite frankly, to identify metrics 
objectives around access, quality, timeliness, to ensure that as we stand up all of these organizations, they're very clear what they're being evaluated to, which has obviously improved access for Albertans, uh, sustained quality in a timely way. So um, a, a tremendous amount of work is going to occur with the department and as Minister mentioned at the HQCA to ensure that uh, everyone understands what we're being measured to and what the ultimate objectives are and that we can use data to prove progress. Thanks, Andre. The next question here is submitted from Maddie listening online. And Maddie says, in the conversations today, I haven't heard as much about public health services. Where does that sit in the new model? Public health services are essential to any healthcare system. So it, it, it will continue to take precedence in the new model. And I know uh, Dr. Oberg has spoken to this quite eloquently already before, so I'll, I'll let him do the same here again. Yeah, thank you. Public health is critical in any healthcare system. Um, the idea where we can proactively make or keep people out of the healthcare system by utilizing public health is critically important. And I, I think to be perfectly honest, everyone around this room and everyone in Alberta saw the importance of public health when during the pandemic years. And uh, shame on us if we don't continue that on, but we have to, and uh, we have to work very hard on the public health component of it. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question tonight is from Josh, and Josh is listening live in Medicine Hat. Josh, you can go ahead, your line's open. Thank you. So this question is specific to mental health and addictions. I'm just wondering how we can be assured that the changes to our health system will not grant the government unbridled power to pursue uh, more ideological changes to the services that we offer in a way that contravenes evidence-based practice. Thanks, Josh, for the question. And uh, a bit unclear specifically uh, which programs and, and practices you're directly referring to. But I, I think it's really important to highlight the uh, the focus uh, as you're talking about harm reduction potentially and, and the evidence along those sides. This government's absolutely been focused uh, on offering a, a comprehensive continuum of care. And to be very clear, that includes prevention, intervention, treatment and recovery and, and the types of, of evidence-based practices that point to the needs to actually support Albertans to, to be able to achieve a stability and, and recovery in their life. That includes different interventions like harm reduction, uh, of which I might add funding over the last four years has gone up over 30%. But the refocusing work and this entire uh, initiative is about focusing collective attention, government's political attention, the administration uh, and delivery of services to really drill into those practices in a more targeted and concerted way. And so it really is going to, to underscore that work going forward to, to make sure we're listening to the evidence uh, and responding with programs to meet the needs of citizens. Thanks very much, Evan. Moving on to the very next question. This is submitted from Larry, who's listening online. I'll go ahead and read the question. It says, 
I read in the news that these changes mean the politicians will have power over the healthcare system. What can you say to reassure us that healthcare professionals will continue to have a say in how care is provided? Uh, great question, Larry, and we wouldn't be here asking you um, how to, to improve the system if, if we didn't want to hear from you. And, and in fact, uh, what I really believe is that this will, in fact, focus the system on the priority areas that it needs to focus on. Too often, the decisions are made through the lens of acute care and not focused, you know, we haven't put enough focus on primary care or continuing care, and we have an aging population. And we also know primary care should be the foundation of our healthcare system because it really is what keeps people well and out of hospital um, and does a lot of that preventative work and the early intervention work that is really required. I'm a healthcare, um, I'm actually a rehab practitioner by profession and really believe in early intervention and wraparound services and making sure that um, the patient is at the center of the decision decision-making. So really, it's about um, making sure that the right people are in the right spots, making the right decisions. This is what I would perceive to be a functional model that retains what is best of a single geographic um, healthcare system, but yet has the ability to focus in on the priority areas that need to be addressed um, in our communities. And, and we all know that mental health and addiction, continuing care, uh, primary care and acute care all need a, a, a laser focus on them so that we can get the improvements we need within the system. Uh, as politicians, we are in a role of, of creating policy and governance, but we also have to make sure that there is the accountability and that the dollars, um, because there's a lot of money going into healthcare, that we get the absolute best value for our dollar as well. Anything you would add, Dr. Oberg? Yeah, I guess the only the only thing that I would add is that uh, I've been a physician for 40 years and have been involved in clinical uh, medicine, albeit not directly, but over those last 40 years. So it's critically important that we hear people on the front line, that we hear healthcare providers, and I don't think anyone that I've heard ever uh, is saying that we don't want to input. We want all the good ideas from healthcare providers, and we'll certainly um, incorporate as many of them as we absolutely can. So this is in no way abdicating on behalf of the, um, the uh, healthcare workers. But on the other hand, uh, politicians do have a job to do when it comes to setting policy and it's working those two elements um, that will get a great system. Thanks, Thanks Dr. Oberg. And sorry, Sarah, I'm, I'm just gonna have to sign off, but I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's on the call and I promise to read all of your uh, questions and your and uh, concerns. And so thank you again, and please continue to take part. And uh, we do appreciate everything you're doing um, in your roles in healthcare. And I look forward to more conversations. We all need to work together to make the system better. So thank you. Thanks so much, Minister LaGrange, and thanks for joining us. I'll keep the conversation going now and welcome our very next listener. This is Shonda, who's listening live in Edmonton. Shonda, your line's open. You can go ahead. Hi. <clears throat> Thank you. Just a, an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to um, 
talk to the people that are the decision makers. I think it's really important. I've been a nurse for 30 years. I have worked in accreditation. I've worked in education as a nurse. I've worked in different countries and different provinces. Uh, My most recent job was implementing a primary care network in BC. One of the biggest uh, faults to our system is what we consider involving frontline staff, and I've heard that said a lot, we're involving frontline staff. I've also heard there's a lot of gatekeepers, and I've seen it because I've worked in a private system and I've worked in the public system. And often when we talk about frontline, when it comes to nurses, we're talking about regulatory bodies, we're talking about management, and we're talking about unions. And I can tell you that the most responsive and best ideas to improve a healthcare system come from the absolute frontline staff that are actually taking care of patients. So when I hear you talking about putting committees together, and I want to know what your definition of frontline staff is. The other thing that concerns me is when a physician says they understand everything that's wrong. That concerns me because the only healthcare worker that sees a patient from the beginning to end of everything that they do within healthcare is nursing staff. And so if we continue to cut out nurses, we're going to miss the boat. So I'm just really curious what, how you're actually involving the frontline clinical staff that are putting their shoes on the ground. Thanks so much for the, the commentary and, and the question. And, and I can assure you, you know, based on all of the work that we've done leading up to the announcement that we define frontline workers not as the gatekeepers that you've identified, but actual people on the ground that are seeing patients and supporting patients to get what they need. And and not and I don't mean this disparagingly, it's not just about physicians or but it's about the entire span of healthcare professionals that touch uh, and look after uh, a patient. And so when we do go out to have those conversations, they will be with a a cross-section of the healthcare system. But one of the essential components to that is frontline workers delivering frontline service as part of their job every day. Yeah, I, I would just say how much I agree with what you just said. Um, First of all, we have to keep remembering that frontline workers are the people who actually see patients and are not the ones who necessarily are the gatekeepers. So I just want to say thank you so much for your comments. Um, And healthcare workers are healthcare workers in general. It's not physicians, it's not nurses, it's not LPNs, it's everyone. Because if it wasn't for everyone, you wouldn't have a system. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question comes from Kim, listening online, and Kim says, I work in corporate services at AHS. I support the front line even though I work outside a hospital. How do I fit into this new organization? Kim, sorry. At the moment, Kim, um, you will fit in exactly the way you are. It may be uh, that you get redeployed into one of the four um, areas that we're currently looking at. But at the moment, there will be no change to your job. Uh, We will continue on. Change will come gradually, and we will see you deploying to where your skills can be utilized in the best possible fashion. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question here comes from Wally, listening online. And Wally says, ambulance wait times worry me. They are high, and we're just entering winter when people get the flu and have falls. Will these changes help change EMS? 
EMS, a very good and important question. EMS is a, is a critical um, component of the system, obviously. It'll remain in the acute care uh, organization. And there have been a number of uh, reviews of EMS uh, service delivery across the province that have been undertaken in the last year. A number of recommendations have been made. Some of them have been acted on, but not all of them. And so uh, Minister LaGrange has directed the department to work with AHS and Covenant um, to implement all of the recommendations uh, that have come out of those two reviews. And that goes right down to operational processes, interaction between uh, EMS operators and emergency departments, and a, and a multitude of other um, recommendations around um, increasing efficiencies and bringing down response time. So a uh, major point of emphasis, something that is definitely being worked on and will be incorporated into this refocusing um, process as we move forward. Yeah, I, I would just add that in the healthcare system these days, all roads lead to the, to the emergency department. And it's absolutely critical that we get the emergency department working efficiently and working quicker. Um, so that's something that uh, I will be concentrating on. It's something that the minister put in her mandate letter to me. So she is telling me that emergency services have to be there. Um, they have to ensure that people uh, get these services when they're needed. So that's something that I take very seriously. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question tonight comes from Deborah, who's listening live in Edmonton. Deborah, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Thanks, and good evening. Um, I have a question. So, um, as we increase our awareness of the impact of the social determinants of health on health status and health outcomes, much of the accountability for addressing these issues sit outside of HS. What can we expect about linkages between the new organizations and other government ministries? Um, so we talked about the importance of information and information technology, but very challenging for AHS staff to communicate with other government ministries about health and personal information. And are there any immediate linkages that can be made to address these gaps while the restructuring or reorganization is happening? Thanks so much for the question. And uh, as Dr. Oberg mentioned previously, health information uh, and uh, information technology systems are a backbone component of any high functioning healthcare system. And uh, we do have some really great uh, IT systems in the healthcare system right now, but they don't, um, they're not always broadly available across. Uh, multiple spectrums of healthcare. So as an example, Connect Care is a very important part of our uh, suite of, of information technology systems, but it doesn't extend to primary care as it currently stands. And so with what was announced last week, we are going to be consolidating IT governance and resourcing um, into one area in the healthcare system for the specific purpose that you're getting at in, in your question to make those systems and to make that critical clinical information um, broadly available. So uh, we have the right information at the right time for the right purpose. And so a very important part of this is uh, implied in your question and we really appreciate you bringing it forward. 
Yeah, I, I would just add a comment about the social determinants that you brought up. Um, social determinants are showing more and more to be of critical importance when it comes to health care in general. I think we all knew this, but there's more and more evidence that is coming forward. I spent the afternoon today actually talking to a researcher who has put out published papers on social determinants. And he talked about things such as loneliness. Um, I talked about things such as, you know, hugging people. And, and you may say, well, that's not healthcare, but I would argue that it is. And from the evidence that I've seen, often uh, simple little things like this. So is the system perfect that we all talk to each other about it? No, but we're certainly beginning to recognize that we absolutely have to work together on the social determinants. And when I say work together, that isn't simply government coming and telling you what to do in your house. It's your neighbors, it's your friends, it's your family, it's your municipality, it's your government, it's your federal government. All of us have to work together on the social determinants of health because it's critically important. I might just add, Dr. Oberg, uh, and from the mental health addiction side, but also seniors and community and social services, that's part of exactly what this refocusing is. It's, it's structurally and at a governance, but on the back end, that is really pulling in a bunch of the different programs that exist in community on the front lines, be it with schools, be it with policing, be it with uh, care uh, on reserve delivered uh, by and, and with First Nation communities, all of those coming together, the whole myriad of, of different service providers, and, and it is lighter things like snow shoveling or, or yard maintenance for seniors. Uh, it's different supports uh, for, for friendly reach outs um, to, to deal with social isolation and, and loneliness all of those preventative steps which connect in with social determinants. This is really the, the building blocks, uh, especially on mental health uh, and addiction and, and continuing care, but across the, the four organizations. So we really have that dedicated focus. So it is not just an acute response to what are, uh, you know, uh, types of issues that require much uh, lighter touch interventions and, and connections with, with community organizations. That is really the foundation uh, that is, is being built out with this refocusing structure to, to drive exactly at what you're talking about, how we can enable social determinants of, of health responses to respond to the types of challenges that, that citizens are facing. Thanks, Evan. And just a reminder, if you've just joined us or you haven't had a chance yet to join the conversation this evening, there's still time to do so. If you're listening on your phone, you can press star three right now or any time in the remaining 30 minutes, and you can join the conversation by sharing your question or comments. And for those listening online, I encourage you to continue to submit your questions or comments through the online portal. The very next comment comes from Francis, who is listening online tonight. And Francis says, lab services went through a big change this summer. What is happening right now with lab service delivery? Will these changes have a further impact? Thanks for the question. And yes, there was considerable changes undertaken to lab services throughout, throughout the summer. And, and as, as many of you probably know, uh, all of those uh, services have been consolidated. Um, within uh, AHS's current structure, and that'll remain the same moving forward. There's no contemplation as it currently stands to move those services out. Right now, we're in the process of stabilizing those services based on the successful negotiation that AHS led 
to consolidate them provincially under AHS and Alberta Precision Labs. So no changes uh, in the future. It's really about stabilizing and ensuring the wait times that were a challenge this summer are no longer present. Thanks, Andre. Moving on to the next question. This is from Gord, who's listening online. And Gord says, our community has struggled in working with AHS on improvements to our hospital. Could we expect better ways of working with these new organizations? Yeah, I just want to recap uh, a key component to the announcement last week and something that the ministers mentioned uh, earlier on the call. Um, we are um, doing a, a significant uh, retooling of the uh, regional advisory councils across the province. And in the past, those were uh, something that directly um, went into AHS. Uh, what we're looking at now is a more robust structure, which, which still provides um, input to AHS, but also provides input directly to the minister. And not only on acute care issues, but a, a broad cross-section of issues across the healthcare system. So it'll be a stronger linkage, a more defined linkage, and something that we're going to be taking very seriously when we get input from community leaders across the province within those 13 regional uh, um, organizations. Thanks, Andre. The next question comes from Harpreet listening online. And Harpreet says, at the announcement, Minister LaGrange mentioned the role of the regional advisory councils. Can you further explain how these are any different than the ones that currently exist with AHS? Sure, I'll just quickly restate what I, I just mentioned. So they'll have a stronger linkage into the department directly into the Minister of Health. Um, they'll be more reflective of all of the aspects of the healthcare system that communities rely on. And uh, we will be looking at the boundaries as well to ensure that they reflect um, natural regions that exist within the province from a healthcare and community perspective. And we will be uh, looking at the membership as well to ensure that the membership has an appropriate cross-section of representatives that reflect that, the region that's being represented by that particular council. Thanks very much. The next question this evening is going to be from Ryan and Ryan's listening live from Calgary. Um, Ryan, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, uh, hello, good evening, everyone. I work as a home care registered nurse in the integrated home care program under Alberta Health Services. Where do we fall under in this new structure? Are we still going to be under Alberta Health Services with this new structure? And also a while ago, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard health minister state that home care in the future might be governed by another organization. Does this mean privatization? Thanks for the question. And, and first of all, um, home care is a critical uh, aspect of our healthcare system. And I mentioned this on, on the call earlier today with other participants. Alberta is, uh, does have some catching up to do with regards to home care. Um, we are um, one of the slower adopters in Canada of home care, which means we need to put forward, obviously, as much effort as possible to ensure that home care options are broadly available to frail and elderly Albertans. Um, AHS uh, can continue um, to provide home care services through their two subsidiaries for sure. 
but the continuing care organization that's being established will have ultimate oversight or over continuing care, which includes home care. And uh, the last comment I would make is um, uh, from a home care perspective, uh, there's no um, plan to broadly privatize uh, home care services. Those are part of the continuing care suite of programs that we currently deliver and will continue to do so. It's just a matter of broadening those options to make them more available. Yeah, thank you. I, I would just add that home care is also critically important in the acute care setting as well. Um, discharge planning, ensuring that the patient has the adequate um, resources needed at home is absolutely critical. So this is a good example where we're going to see a continuum of care between all four organizations because quite simply, all four of these need home care. And I, I really see this as being an enhanced service as Andre was saying. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question this evening is from Carrie listening online. And Carrie says, a major barrier to nurse practitioner implementation has been the compensation models. What is the plan to fix this moving forward? First of all, I want to acknowledge the importance of nurse practitioners in the province. I know we've had a lot of um, questions around health workforce and, and nurse practitioners are a very important part of that overall workforce that we need um, across the system. Uh, two comments I'd make on NP um, compensation. Uh, I know we've uh, recently uh, made some progress on compensation models for nurse practitioners in an acute care setting. And so I, I know we're doing some work on that to ensure that nurse practitioners in an acute care setting are receiving the appropriate compensation for what they're doing. And uh, as part of the MAPS announcement, we actually um, announced a new nurse practitioner funding model for nurse practitioners that want to practice in a primary care setting, either attached to an existing uh, primary care clinic or being part of an existing primary care clinic. And that compensation reflects nurse practitioner's scope of practice uh, proportionally as it relates to a physician. And so obviously physicians have an extensive scope of practice. Nurse practitioners have a percentage of that based on, on their uh, academic background and overall scope. And so we've introduced a compensation model that will assist nurse practitioners in becoming more heavily involved in delivering primary care services. Thanks, Andre. The next question is from Maria listening online. And Maria says, what happens to Covenant Health with this new system? I read they don't have to report to AHS anymore. Thanks for the question. So as it currently stands, AHS holds the master agreement or service agreement with Covenant Health. And so Covenant Health um, receives funding from AHS to operate their facilities. In this current, the, that's in the current structure and what's being announced or what was announced last week, Covenant Health will no longer be under the operational or funding control of AHS. They, they will be their own service provider and will be reporting to the acute care organization. That also applies to non-hospital surgical facility operators. 
that deliver publicly funded surgical procedures across the province. So basically in the past, AHS oversaw all acute care providers. Uh, now we will have a, a, a more flat uh, governance framework where um, all acute care providers will be accountable to the acute care organization, which will have control and uh, over the budget and will influence funding accordingly. Thanks, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question this evening is from Sam, and Sam's listening live in Edmonton. Sam, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm just wondering, Danielle Smith said last week that the plan is to ensure that every Albertan will have a family doctor. And since the start of COVID, many physicians have left Alberta. Many nurses have burnt out and left the profession. Morale among healthcare providers has declined significantly since the start of COVID. The Alberta government ripped up contracts with physicians, and I'm, I'm very concerned that it will be very difficult to recruit and retain healthcare workers, in particular physicians, as the restructuring adds significant uncertainty to this process. And I've also heard that physicians are concerned that there will be more red tape in the system with this restructuring and the four silos. So I'm just wondering, how do you respond to this? What will you do to make Alberta an attractive option for healthcare workers, given these concerns? Thanks so much for the question and for outlining a foundational challenge that we're having, particularly in family medicine and obviously in the primary care space. So there's a number of commitments that were made through the MAPS announcement that occurred about two and a half weeks ago, and I'll quickly outline those. The first commitment that was made was establishing a task force that's comprised of multiple um, representatives from across the system to look at administrative burden for family physicians. And many family physicians are struggling, as you mentioned, with burnout. And much of that's driven by administrative burden of managing clinics, managing all of the, the issues that come out of operating a small business and that are ultimately taking physicians away from seeing patients. And even in conversations I've had across the province with family physicians, this is one of the biggest issues that are plaguing many of our our uh, family medicine professionals across the province. And so that task force is going to be looking at how do we lessen those uh, burdensome issues in clinic operations. Number two is a commitment was made to uh, comprehensively review the compensation framework for family physicians in the province. The minister made that uh, commitment uh, as part of the MAPS uh, announcement and ultimately within the next 18 months um, we hope to have a new funding framework for family physicians and the third thing i would mention is there was recently an mou signed between the alberta medical association and uh, the government of alberta to delve even more deeply into compensation and administrative issues um, so we can have a, a really clear understanding of what some of the challenges are and establish remedies for those, those uh, issues that individuals are dealing with on the front line. This is a major area of focus for us and our minister has been very clear that this has to be addressed. So thank you so much for the comments and the question. Thanks, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question is from Nadine and Nadine's listening from Central Alberta this evening. Nadine says, can you expand on your plan um, can you explain on your 
plan and if this affects other healthcare sectors, for example, primary care network networks, what is your plan for health promotion? So on primary care networks, um, they've been in place now for many years and, and we know how important they are in terms of establishing the appropriate wraparound services for patients. They're, they're more than just a, a point of entry uh, with a family physician or with a primary care professional, but they bring in specialists, social workers, uh, a multitude of different professionals that can uh, surround and support uh, a patient that, that's uh, dealing with their own individual health issues. PCNs will continue to be a key component of the primary care system. They will be under the uh, oversight of the new primary care organization. And ultimately, um, their current state uh, will endure, but we will be looking at how to optimize PCNs. And so there may at some point be changes, but we understand the importance of them. And maybe I'll hand it over to Dr. Oberg on health promotion. Yeah, health healthcare promotion is something that uh, is key to the system. Uh, we have to ensure that everyone is on the same page. When there are people that are doing, that are having habits, for example, that are deleterious to them, there needs to be the information given the, to them to show exactly what is happening. Um, there's lots of different um, examples of it that I won't go into tonight, but I really see health promotion as a way that people can take responsibility for their own health. And ultimately, that's what it's all about as well, is healthcare providers help people to look after themselves. Thanks again, Dr. Oberg. The next question is from Jasmine listening online this evening. And Jasmine says, currently AHS has five zones and I work in the South Zone. Will that zone continue or will the new organization go in a different direction? Thank you for that comment. So we do have, as, as you mentioned, we do have five zones. Each zone uh, requires a zone plan that lays out the clinical service requirements for each um, geographic area. Um, those zones will continue to be in place and uh, we do uh, need to update two of the zone plans um, for uh, Calgary and Central. Um, we do. We are in the process of working through a zone plan for Edmonton and, and uh, Alberta North as well. And so all of those uh, zones uh, will be part of the broader system planning framework that's uh, being contemplated with this refocusing and will be the responsibility of the Department of Health in conjunction with healthcare partners. So it's still an important part of, of how we set priorities and how we lay out clinical service plans and frankly, capital planning and capital expenditures as well. Yeah, I, I would just add that it's critically important to note, and I, I think we ultimately do, that healthcare needs in Medicine Hat, for example, are different than in Fort McMurray, that are different in Grand Prairie, that are different in Edmonton. And having the zones is an effective way to meet those specific needs that are specific for the geographic region. So I, I don't see that changing at all. I think the advent of the 13 um, health councils that the advisory councils is going to be important so that we know what is happening. 
we used to think that one size fits all, but in healthcare, we absolutely know that one size does not fit all and that there are individual solutions in the individual communities, which we'll be working for to find out what they are. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is from Tracy, who's listening live in Edmonton. Tracy, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you for taking my question. I'm wondering if you could please provide more details about the procurement and optimization secretariat that's been announced and how will it impact established contracting and procurement processes that are in place in Alberta Health Services for both med surge items and for pharmaceuticals? Well, thank you very much for the question. And, you know, since 2009, as, as AHS has consolidated and, and moved forward as an organization, one of their most, I, and I, my view, and I think the view of many, is one of the most significant accomplishments of AHS is establishing economies of scale with regards to procurement. It's actually, it acted as one of the largest procurement organizations in Canada from a healthcare perspective. And so tremendous gains have been made uh, through that process. What we're looking to do is to scale that even more significantly. So the procurement secretariat would optimize many of the gains that have been made by AHS, but even make some of the procurement gains more um, available to continuing care, primary care operators, mental health and addictions operators. So even optimizing that further Many of the individual contracts and processes that are in place with AHS will be maintained, but will be coordinated by the Procurement Secretariat more broadly. So we won't be losing all of that um, tremendous uh, work that was done and the accomplishments that were made. It's about scaling it up so we can um, save dollars where appropriate from a continuing or from a procurement perspective and reinvest those dollars into the front line. Andrea, I'm going to throw out a challenge to you here on this one. Uh, I'm a big fan of the economy of scale of uh, everything that has been done in Alberta Health Services. And I'll put a challenge out to you. A chair is a chair is a chair. So maybe we need to expand this even more beyond health and into other elements of uh, government as well. That's an idea. And one worth exploring. Absolutely. So I'm with you on that challenge. Absolutely. Thanks very much. The next question this evening is submitted from Earl, um, listening online. And Earl says, what impact will this have on things like diagnostic image services or MR MRIs? Will the wait times get shorter with this? That's certainly my goal, Earl, is to make better access to diagnostic services. Ultimately, diagnostic services are one of the backbones of healthcare as well. And we need, we as practitioners need to know what we're doing in order to do it. And diagnostic services are key. Um, are there better ways to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, should people be waiting six, eight, nine months? The answer is no. And part of my role as uh, board chair for Alberta Health Services is to increase the access to diagnostic services so that we can get better results for Albertans and critical component to the healthcare system. Thanks very much, Dr. Oberg. The next question this evening is going to be from Leanne, who's listening live in Edmonton. Um, Leanne, you can go ahead. Your line's now open. 
Hi, I'm just wondering if you can provide a little bit more information on the payment system that's going to support nurse practitioners to open their own clinics, because there was a reference made earlier to the fact that this has been announced, but I, as a nurse practitioner, haven't seen anything. No, I really appreciate that. And, and we will be rolling out more details on that program in the next few weeks. So stay tuned. It'll have some specific detail around the actual compensation rate, how an individual nurse practitioner or a group of nurse practitioners can um, lock into to an arrangement where they can add their own panel, uh, grow their own panel, and actually operate within an existing clinic or, quite frankly, a new clinic. That compensation model will also include an overhead component. So it's not just base compensation. There's overhead elements to that as well which we all know is critical as it relates to the operation of primary care facilities. Thanks, Andre. The next question is from Lois, who's listening online. And Lois says, will splitting this into multiple organizations mean longer wait lists for long-term care? Not at all, actually. And, and um, I think it's an important question and, and something I'm happy to respond to. Um, the new continuing care organization will really be focusing on actually broadening options, increasing options for uh, the frail and elderly in terms of accessing long-term care services. So we've had a really good conversation about home care today, um, the importance of increasing capacity in the system. And right now in Alberta, we have limited new entrants into that space. And uh, that's not a criticism of the existing operators, but the, the environment for innovation and the environment for more broadly accessing new innovative modes of care to keep people aging in place, as an example, or new and unique long-term care um, operations, those have been lacking within the province. And so as part of the continuing care organization's mandate, that organization will be tasked with broadening and increasing capacity simultaneously so we have more options. It'll also be tasked with identifying and establishing a, a single intake model so individuals can more successfully navigate their individual circumstances to find the right care at the right time for that individual and for their families and caregivers. Thanks, Andre. Uh, keeping the conversation going here, the next question comes from Martha, who's listening online. And Martha says, how will the primary care organizations attract Albertans um, to doctors, attach Albertans to doctors? Sorry. I'll turn my microphone on here. Thanks for the question. And, and we've talked about this uh, a number of times, but I think it bears restating because of its importance. So um, we are looking at uh, implementing the entire MAPS um, series of recommendations. So that's uh, focused on um, looking at new compensation models, looking to reduce administrative burden, and it also ties into our workforce strategy, which is focused specifically on increasing primary care professionals across the province. The primary care organization will be carrying many of those um, items as it gets established. We don't want to just wait for that organization to be stood up. We're going to be working on these things simultaneously. 
So when the organization is stood up, that they can have an active role in implementing those new programs and models to ensure that we have uh, physicians and other primary care providers getting the support they need to deliver those services across the province. Thanks very much for that, uh, Andre. The next question this evening is going to come in from Mike listening online. And Mike just Mike says, there are a number of new hospital projects underway or in planning. Um, will these changes delay the building of those new projects? There'll be no impact, uh, negative impact to existing um, projects that are in flight. Uh, as a matter of fact, we are consolidating capital planning into one uh, spot within the healthcare system. Um, we're linking it more carefully to the zone planning that we just talked about a few moments ago and the regional advisory councils. So there's going to be a tighter linkage to what's happening in the community to actually establishing stronger capital plans and actually getting those uh, capital projects in play and constructed more quickly. Um, but to answer your core question, uh, no delays uh, being contemplated at all for what's, ex what's currently in flight across the province. Thanks very much, Andre. The next question this evening is Dave, and Dave's listening um, in Calgary. So Dave, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Hello, and my Dave, question. And Dave, if you're there, welcome. Can you hear me now? We can, yeah, go ahead. Thanks so much, Dave. Okay, uh, the, the point that I'm interested in is whether the plan in this governance structure changeover is to include patients with lived experience, not only as a source of valuable information, but also in the governance structure itself as a decision-making person. Uh, while a point earlier was made that nurses spend the most amount of time with patients, patients actually spend all the time as patients and have the ability to contribute uh, real life experience input into not only the structure, but the governance of it. Dave, if I can take a shot at that one. First of all, thank you very much for your question. Too often the discussions on healthcare tend to be about diagnostic imaging or about surgery or about nurses or about doctors or about healthcare workers in general. Uh, what we really have to remember and refocus on is there's only one reason the healthcare system is there and that's for the patients, that's for patient care. So I really do thank you for refocusing some of this discussion. The answer to all of your questions is yes. Um, we have to talk to healthcare workers, but we have to talk to patients. We have to hear about the patient experience. We have to ensure that the patient experience is, is the correct one. We have to ensure that it's a good one because realistically, that's what this healthcare system is all about, the patient. So I, I really do sincerely appreciate your question. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. Um, we've come to the end of our time together this evening, but I would like to just offer you the opportunity to share any closing words if you have any. So, Dr. Oberg, go ahead. Well, thank you very much. And, and as I look back, this is our third town hall that we've done. And uh, often I keep, keep correcting myself or keep saying, well, that's a critical component. That's a critical issue. 
um, even though they're all different issues. So the key takeaway for me is that there's a lot of interest out there from people, that there are a lot of critical issues that need to be addressed. But I can assure you that uh, this new organization, this new structure, and certainly myself in general, will commit everything that is needed to ensure that, uh, that uh, we improve this system, that we get it to a system that is worthy of all Albertans in 2023. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. And on behalf of Minister Lagrange and and uh, and the entire organization here at Alberta Health, I just want to extend my gratitude to each and every one of you for participating today. You know, this is our third uh, town hall, and we've had thousands of participants. And I, I marvel at the quality of the questions and the comments. Frankly, um, we hope we're providing you some useful information because you're certainly providing us useful information. We're learning through the questions and we're starting to see patterns and themes that are emerging through the questions around areas of concern, areas of opportunity, and areas that we need to deeply consider as we move to implement this strategy that we, was released last week. So I just wanna thank everyone for their participation and the individuals that put their comments and questions forward, they're deeply important to us and we very much appreciate it. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister Tremblay, and thanks to each and every one of you for your participation. To find out more information about refocusing healthcare in Alberta and to find out how to remain involved in this conversation, I encourage you to visit alberta.ca slash healthcare. Your input will help shape a stronger health system to provide better care for generations of Albertans to come. You can share your feedback directly, again, at alberta.ca slash healthcare by following the Shape the Way tab and clicking Share Your Feedback. Thank you again for your participation. Have a great evening and good night.